I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today's guest shows us the power and importance of culture and leadership within our sports, our teams, and even our homes. JP Nervin is a best-selling author, leadership coach, and founder of TOC Culture Consulting. His first book, Calling Up, Discovering Your Journey to Transformational Leadership, has received critical acclaim. And his second book, The Culture System, A Proven Process for Creating an Extraordinary Team Culture, is a groundbreaking book offering a framework for developing team culture through practical ways to build relationships and raise standards in a team. JP's newest book is based around the number one complaint that he hears from coaches. You ready for what that is? It's sports parents. So he wrote The Sports Parent Solution, Proven Strategies for Transforming Parents from Obstacles to Allies. And it offers a comprehensive blueprint for turning your most challenging sports parents into your greatest allies. Leveraging ideas from leaders in education, the military, and sports, and sharing dozens of real stories from youth, high school, and collegiate-level coaches, JP shares practical strategies for creating open lines of communication, building a connection to the team, and engaging in those hard conversations. JP also runs the Culture System online training platform, and he has a podcast called Coaching Culture. He also played basketball at the University of South Carolina, and although he's originally from South Carolina, he now resides with his wife and three children in Ireland. He also enjoys trail running and ultra marathons, his longest being 120 miles. A lot of what we dig in today is directly related to JP's expertise, culture and leadership. And a few of the most important things that affect culture and leadership are communication, setting up boundaries, and building partnerships. And sometimes there are concepts that sound good when we hear people talk about them, but we're not really sure how to implement them in our own lives. Much like how JP in this episode breaks down ways to build up culture and leadership on our teams, I help athletes not only learn specific mindset and performance skills, but I also help them learn how to use and apply those skills into their training and competition. If you've been wanting to start harnessing your mental game, but you're not really sure where to start, I have the perfect gift for you. I created a free guide with the top 10 mental skills that every athlete must have. And it's not only a list of skills, but it's also a guide and a self-assessment to help kickstart your journey to confidence. So go grab your free copy over at laurawilkinson.com slash skills. That's laurawilkinson.com slash skills. Before we get started, make sure you smash that subscribe button and tell your friends about your favorite episode of this podcast. The best way for us to grow is by word of mouth. So you sharing this with your team, with your friends, with your coaches helps us grow to that next level. And it helps us to keep bringing you more resources, tools, and inspiration. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. JP Nurbin, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I'm super excited to meet with you and just pick your brain about a million things today. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. This is probably my first time speaking to a gold medalist. So I really feel special here. I'll probably pick in your brain. <laughs> well, it sounds like this could be a great conversation then. I love it. Well, tell me, you are like an amazing author, leadership coach. You've written books, all these things. You've got a podcast. But I really want to kind of know where all this started. Like, I know you played basketball in college, but you're like an ultra marathon runner. Like, tell us a little bit about your sport background and where all this kind of started from. Yeah, I grew up in South Carolina and basketball was my sport, my passion. Was fortunate to go all the way and play as a walk-on at the University of South Carolina for a year. When that journey ended rather abruptly, I made a weird pivot in my life. I did a study abroad program for four months in Ireland that led to living there and finishing out my degree where I started coaching basketball. And basketball is not very popular in Ireland. It's not the most popular sport by far, but you know it's a growing sport. And but you say, "Hey, I'm from America. I play basketball at the University of South Carolina, and I'm interested in coaching." And all of a sudden, you know, a month later, you have five jobs. You know, coaching. So, <laughs> well, so I used to fun. coach like yeah, I used to coach like five, six, seven teams almost in a year. Wow. We'd practice two, three times a week, and all these clubs and teams would organize their schedules so that I could go around and coach. So I had this incredible experience of coaching lots of teams and not really knowing what I was doing, but I was passionate. I was all about it. And I worked tirelessly at it for five years while also finishing out a degree. 
that led me back to the States to, in a weird pivot of that story, I met my wife from America in Ireland. And so she brought me back to America <laughs> nice. for a few years. And so I was coaching high school basketball and, and teaching there for, for five years before kind of hit this rock bottom as a leader, which we can unpack more if you, if you desire, but essentially this rock bottom, I had tried everything to try to figure out culture. I mean, you first get into coaching, you're into the technical, tactical aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And then you start to realize that only takes you so far if you can't build relationships and connections with the athletes. And so I, I felt compelled to learn more about that and to fix the culture. But I'd spent years just bringing people in from the outside to work with my team and putting them through curriculum and lessons. And, and what I really found was that the rock bottom was the problem was me. I had to work on my own leadership first. I had to mm-hmm. grow. And so in that process, I found a mentor and that mentor, you know, coach, and I, he challenged me, worked with me, and I saw a real transformation in my leadership, trans- then a transformation in the culture. And I started writing about that experience. And then I started podcasting about the things I was learning. And then people started wanting to talk to me. And then I realized, okay, I could potentially coach other coaches on, on these types of things. So I've spent the last seven, eight years developing strategies, tools, systems to improve player relationships, team culture, leaders as well as got my certification in leadership coaching. So I coach and I consult. Those are two different things. And I'm happy to unpack those things as well at some point in the conversation. But yeah, that's what I do now. And and I obviously, I write, like you said, a few books. And those are oftentimes based upon some of my learnings, but also some of the work that I've done with my clients. I have to jump back. Like, What made you so abruptly quit basketball in college? I mean, change everything and go across the globe to finish out your your education. Well, it wasn't really my decision. I just wasn't very good. <laughs> it was not like, you know, to be at that level. And that's a, you know, that's something there. Like I was so set on division one, division one, I really would have been happier at a division three level. That's probably where I fit, mm-hmm. but I was stubborn and just worked at it, you know? And, and the other day I got that unique experience. I think the other thing that, you know, coincided with that, that move and that shift was, you know, a mental health crisis that I've been kind of facing for the last three or three years, three, four years as an athlete. I had a highly emotionally abusive coach in high school shortly after, you know, I left two years after he was removed as the coach. And there's some athletes I know he helped along the way, but there's also a lot of athletes that he hurt. I was one of those that really struggled with that, as well as just probably the mental health challenges that many teenage boys or teenagers face, right? Mm-hmm. So you put that on and the pressure of a sport you love with a kind of emotionally abusive coach. So kind of running off to Ireland was kind of just getting away, getting away from for the first year, it was really getting away from the sport. I had so much of my value and self-worth and identity tied up into basketball. I was happy yeah. to be in a place where people didn't really care that I had played basketball before. That was that was very freeing for me because I went to University of South Carolina and I grew up in South Carolina. So, you know, I never really was able to expand my identity or how I saw myself. So moving to Ireland was that move for me. Was that like hard at all? Because I mean, there's so many layers to like when you're leaving your sport too, but you're also like jumping across the globe and trying to get away. So maybe it was a different dynamic, but some people, when they leave their sport, it's, it's a bit shocking because you lose a coach, you lose teammates, you lose support systems, you lose all of those things. But for you, it sounds like it was freeing, like unpack that a little bit for me, like how you walked that out into the unknown. Was that not a scary thing? Not having any kind of like support around you at all? Like really just kind of going on it at your own? First year was like really, really tough. There were some really, really low moments and some really tough times. When I got to Ireland, it was actually crazy. I walked into a pub and within like two hours, I was recruited by a bunch of college students that played American football, like the tackle type in Ireland. And they had a college team that competed in the semi-pro league there. And they recruited me. And I hadn't played American football since I was in seventh grade. I had no interest in playing (laughs) in the mud and the rain. But these guys were fun and they like to drink beer. <laughs> that was just it. <laughs> well, I just walked into that team and I had a group of guys that, you know, honestly just fell in love with that group and got married like 10 years later and 30 something of them flew over from Ireland for, oh, for the wow. wedding. It shows you the friendship. So I was so fortunate to walk into, and if you've seen the movie, The Replacements, where they're like smoking <laughs> on the sideline, that, that was actually true. They would be teams. They would have, they'd be smoking cigarettes between downs. It was crazy. Wow. Wow. So if you happen to be in Ireland, just go into a pub and you'll make friends. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Well, that's the Irish way. Yeah. You'll, you right. can easily fall into a lot of different teams. But yeah, if you go to Ireland, the people are here are, here are amazing. They're amazing people. Right. Well, kind of going back to the coach situation you had in high school, like 
Did you realize the abuse that was going on? Did you tell anyone about that? Would you have handled it now, knowing what you know now, being on the other side as a coach, as you know, somebody who coaches and parents, like, would you have walked that differently or would you advise people to walk it differently? Yeah, it's really interesting. So when it happened, it was just shortly after 2001 when I stepped in as a high school athlete into high school. And this was just after Bobby Knight had just been removed from Indiana, mm-hmm. if you know your the timeline. That started to signal a shift in the culture where, you know, like, hey, there's boundaries here, all right, at some point. I don't think that shift obviously happened fast enough for me, but there was awareness that this was an issue, mm-hmm. but this man was successful as far as wins. and we were successful on the court as well as there's a lot of players and parents that would stand by them and say, Hey, he helped make me a better man today. Mm. So you had a lot of that, but for me, there was not a lot of talking about it. I think, Oh, and I was constantly told anytime I was, I would speak up about it. A lot of times was, well, you have to learn just to deal with it. He cares about you. You got to toughen up. And it's interesting. I've actually never heard the man ever ask me anything about my life or anything I was going through. It was all, Oh, it was just about basketball. Right. I think the thing is, there's two things that you would see in there. And one was, if you're a fan, you would stand and you would see him pull you out of the sub kids out of the game. And then in front of a thousand people almost, just rip them to shreds. And then he puts you to the end of that bench, or he'd put you right back on the floor. Mm. To me, he'd grab me by the jersey and he'd pull me right into his face, you know, inches away. And he'd just lay into you and just tell you, you're worthless. You're an idiot. You're, you know, you're being selfish. He'd just rip into you. That was bad. But what was worse was in the locker room. It was like he'd take you in there and it was 10, 12 minutes of just going at you. And he'd pick one or two people. And for my sophomore, junior year, for sure, it was definitely me. I was the biggest target. It was tough. And, you know, anytime you spoke about it, parents try to speak up about it. My parents, you know, try to bring attention to it. People would shoot him down, you know. And I think that was kind of the culture back then, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously now it's changing. That type of behavior is being tolerated a lot less these days. Wow. So if there was a kid that's recognizing that situation today, what would you recommend them do? Walk away, walk out of the sport. It definitely is the safest thing. If just at the end of the day, if someone is tearing you down as a human being, they criticize your play, different things like that. That's one thing, but especially to be like critical of you as a human being constantly that you feel less, you feel like you're not worthy or you don't feel valuable and you start going to some dark places like I did as an athlete just walk away. Or it's like easy. I wish I could go back. I wish I could go back so much and, and just tell that younger self of, you know, to, Hey, just tell him to stop. Yeah. <laughs> just tell him this doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Like whatever you're trying to achieve, this isn't, we're going to work. This isn't going to help get the best out of me. I don't know many 15, 16, 17 year old boys or girls that had that strength to be able to say that, but I wish I did like, because maybe there would have been a way through that to challenge him, but end day it's, you got to push back, you know, and it's just to walk away. It's obviously, you know, to include adults and other people like that in that situation, but even just to challenge, challenge the adult, like just say, this isn't working for me. Yeah. And that's a really hard thing for an athlete to do a teenager, any age, really. Cause I mean, as athletes, you know, we grow up and we're learning to respect the people who are coaching us and teaching us and to not talk back, but to grow and change and improve because of the criticisms or whatever, right? But we're not really told how to handle a situation like that because it's kind of just assumed that won't happen or it's, you know, like you said, back in a culture of where it was maybe more acceptable or something. So I guess now as you find yourself like in the coaching position, you've left, you've gone to the other side of the world and you started coaching, you know, in this kind of relatively non-basketball arena, you know, which was cool. I mean, did automatically right off the bat where you're like, I'm doing this totally different or did some of that? Because sometimes there's a cycle, right? If you're treated that way, sometimes that's how you think you have to be with people. Or did you know right away, like, no, that's not okay. There's nothing right about that. I've got to do this totally different. There's so much of my personality that's positive and upbeat and high energy, right? So right away, it definitely felt different for my athletes. I know that, you know, and I was able to build up some good rapport and relationships and have some success. As I struggled, you know, you know, I had to hold athletes accountable. I fell into the trap of like, well, I only know one toolkit, which is yell or make them run. Like I didn't have any other tools. And I like knew I had to hold players accountable. I hadn't been shown a better way of doing that. I kind of defaulted to that. It was definitely a little bit less personal. It was more like to the team, 
oftentimes maybe a passive aggressive, like call y'all at the team. There's really like one guy or two guys. That was the issue, right? <laughs> right. But, you know, like th- that type of stuff as a coach. And then as you move down and, you know, you start getting more exposure as a coach and you start coaching the States and you're a head coach of a program and there's a lot more people paying attention, the pressure starts to rise. Then you start to really start to slip into some behaviors there that when you get frustrated, you kind of take it out on other people around you. I never was that, you know, and I, anytime I speak on this, I oftentimes get letters or emails from players like, Hey man, you weren't that bad. Like, like <laughs> I needed that type of coaching. I needed you to be tough on me. And like, I've had players tell me that, you know, that, that have attended some of my conversations or, you know, speeches, you know, which I appreciate that. But the reality is like, it, it was not a very healthy way, you know, it was not creating an intrinsically motivated environment. I still used fear. I used the carrot and they used the stick way too much, you know, mm-hmm. and the carrot's good occasionally. And it's not horrible to always have to ever use the stick, but you want to create an environment that's intrinsically motivated for athletes where they just want to show up and work hard and have a good attitude because that's who they want to be. And, and, and that's going to lead to the type of success they want to have in their life and for the team. So I use way too much of the stick for sure at different points and was a lot of work to kind of retrain that default mode of operation. Because a lot of it, I used to say, well, this is my style. I'm passionate. So I can be really high and I can be really low. Like that used to be my excuse. And until so I learned about intentionality. It is such a balance, kind of like you say, whether you're a coach or a parent, you know, there's that like you've got to motivate them, but also hold them accountable. Like there's there's all these balances, right? And it's kind of like, okay, where where am I? Am I in the right place? Am I too far one way? Like there's always that kind of inner self-check we have to have, which is really important. And being intentional is a great way to avoid falling too far in one direction. But I'd love to kind of unpack this. Do you want to go from like the coach's perspective first or the parent's perspective first on like, how to start kind of creating, you know, this communication, this culture, environment, like where's the best place to start? Well, let's start with coaches and then we can kind of pepper in how, how parents can sometimes take up the slack for where, where coaches fall short of this partnership. Sounds good. Let's kick it so, off. <laughs> yeah. So where do you want to start is just as far as how this, this relationship goes. Yeah. Well, I mean, does it start like for me and you've mentioned like the culture side of it. And this is my coach, Kenny Armstrong. He was my coach for like 30 years. He still coaches our team. He's just stepped back a little bit in the role, but he always hammered into us that like my job as your coach is not to make you an Olympic gold medalist. My job is to create an atmosphere and an environment where you can become the very best that you can be. Like that's my job is to create this atmosphere, this culture, right? And that's what he did. And that's why I see a lot of really high level, amazing coaches do. They care about their athletes and they create this environment where they can thrive. I'm guessing, I mean, that would be my assumption is the first thing coaches need to probably look at, but would you say it's something different? Yeah. So when it's coming to a culture for the athletes to be successful, I really talk about how one of my failings as a coach was I often looked for the one or two things each year to build my team's culture or to create a culture where if it was an individual sports, you know, more like swimming, stuff like that, where the athletes can thrive, right? I'm going to do the one or two things here. And what I realized was I do those things and they might be effective. They might be helpful, but I would spend so much of my time downstream though, during the year, just putting out fires, addressing issues, lack of buy-in, player issues, those types of things. And so I learned you really need to get upstream and to get upstream, you have to address the whole system. So Mm -hmm. when you look at the system, it's everything, how you do, how to, how you recruit or how do you select your players? Two, you got to look at the way that you run your practices, You know the way that you run your, your matches or meets, whatever it be. You really want to look at everything you do to your, your one-on-ones with your players, how you discipline, team building activities. So you look at everything. Everything that you do in your team needs to align with your philosophy as a coach. So if your mission as a coach is to help athletes become better people, and you have core values around competitiveness and resilience and toughness, then everything in the system must be you know, aligned to that. Mm-hmm. So for me as a coach, it was like starting to do more intentional one-on-ones with players to build those relationships and to connect with them so that you could then come in and challenge them and hold them accountable on those types of things. Everything has to come back to that philosophy. But so often we're downstream. We're just trying to address the things as they come up. So what's the best way to go about that? Is that like maybe between seasons, like for coaches to kind of just be like, okay, what is my mission? Because I bet there's coaches who have no idea what their mission even is. It's just like, I want to coach great basketball players or I want to 
create great divers or I want to, you know, make the Olympic team as a coach, but like maybe they don't have a mission or a big vision. Like, I think that would be probably the best starting point because if everything has to align with that, you have to know what you're supposed to align everything with, right? Yeah. And it's really interesting. In my last book, The Culture System, I talked about like the whole part one is all about how do you create a philosophy, like a mission, a vision. So mission is why do I coach? A vision is what am I trying to create here? What am I trying to build? Core values are what are really important to what's really important to me? What are my core beliefs? You want to have those somewhat defined. But I was talking to a coach that I actually actually write about in that book, a client of mine, a high school coach. And it was just so interesting today. He was facing a challenge beginning of this year within selecting his team. And it was just like one of the questions I often ask my clients is, okay, well, what did you learn about yourself today in our conversation? And he's just like, man, I'm just getting more clarity around my philosophy, like what's really important to me. And so, yeah, you can go, you can read my book, or you could do some sort of activity and write it down. But like, it's the journey, it's coming back to what's really important to me here as I make this decision that helps us to greater clarity. So coming up with the philosophy is not a one-day event. It's not a one-year event. It's a lifetime event to continuously shape that philosophy. I would encourage coaches to kind of come back to that for sure. I love it. What about like, so a sport like mine, we're not selecting players to be on a team. It's like, well, maybe at a college level or something or like, you know, an Olympic or world level, but like on our club teams, it's just whoever wants to be there, you know, and signs up to be there is there. So what happens? And I, I have seen some videos lately about, I saw this one in particular about a ballet dancer who was coaching little five-year-olds and talking about how awful their attitudes were and trying to address the parents about the attitudes and the parents were just as bad as the children. You know, how do you lay out this system or your philosophy or the culture that you want when the parents or the athletes are not buying into that? I think your philosophy or why obviously will steer you a little bit to where you want to go. And what I mean by that is like, you can probably have some similar principles, values, and mission but it's going to be changed if you're coaching at pro level or you're at the collegiate level, the high school level, youth level. And it should, it should shape. It should guide you where you want to go. Sometimes I have coaches, they're, they're interviewing for different jobs. They're trying to figure out what's the best situation. And I say, well, look at your philosophy and your mission and all that. And how does that align with that opportunity? Mm-hmm. Because that school may be all about wins and losses. And that's okay for some people, but for some For others, it's just not going to work out that way. Mm -hmm. So if you're coaching at a club level where you're taking every athlete, I'd encourage that coach to make sure they're having something around impacting every athlete that walks through that door, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's probably going to tone down or turn down just a little bit of that competitiveness element that might be present in others, you know? So one of my core values is compete as a coach. If I'm coaching pro, which I, I did a few years here in Ireland, you can go in Ireland. That shows up and manifests itself differently than how I show up when I'm coaching my daughters under eight. But there's still a lot of competition in our under eight football practices that I coach here now. So, you know, it's just how does it show up? How does it manifest itself? That'd be one thing for sure. So, how do you suggest a coach clearly, I guess, communicating that with their athletes, with parents? Like, is it always having all these one on one meetings? Are these group discussions? Like, should you have people? sign up, like basically like signing a document saying, I understand what our values are. Like, what is the best way to start shaping that culture? Obviously, it comes from your leadership, but like how to communicate that and get people to buy into what you're trying to lead them to. Let's talk about how we do that with the athletes. Let's talk about how we do it within the system there. And let's talk about how we do it with the parents. So okay. and the way I my framework works is at the center, at the core is, is transformational leadership. That drives everything, our leadership philosophy, right? I call it transformational leadership because that's the type of coaches I work with. They, they want to make a difference in people's lives. Outside of that, and we have this flywheel and it is establishing the culture, supporting the culture and enforcing the culture. Establishing is about establishing the standards and relationships because culture is built on relationships and standards, right? Behaviors mm-hmm. and how we do things. So when it comes to establishing that philosophy and laying that out, coaches typically that I work with will have a few non-negotiables. I, as a coach, when I start off, had a lot of rules. And we like to move away from rules. Rules are very much like just authoritarian. This is what I said. Do it. If you don't do it, you'll be punished. As a great John Wooden said, he was a coach at UCLA that won 10 national championships. Mm-hmm. He said, when I started out in coaching, I had a lot of rules. Later on in coaching, I had fewer rules, more suggestions. And so we talk about every coach has some non-negotiables, three or four standards or rules that they will hold every athlete to. You know, For me, they're like, be on time, listen, don't complain. 
if I can get athletes to do that, I can probably do a pretty darn good job. Outside of that, we like to co-create standards. We like to sit down with athletes and say, hey, what's success for us this year? Not just on the scoreboard, not just when it comes to wins and losses, but what's success? What will be a great experience? Have the team have a conversation around that and say, okay, that's success. Then what are our standards? What do we need to do to create that experience to get there? Okay. And then you have a conversation around accountability. So, okay, if we don't do those things now, how do you want the coaches to hold you accountable here? How do we want to hold each other accountable? So you have this, you co-create standards. You can do that a little bit through, if you're more individualized sports, then you can have a similar conversation with your athletes. What are your aspirations for your sport? What are your goals for the season? What do you want your experience to be like? Okay, where are you currently? Mm-hmm. What can you do to close the gap from where you are to where you want to be? So you do that in the player development plan, you know, meetings is what we call them, PDPs, these one-on-ones with athletes. So you're just kind of establishing that right out there. My philosophy flows within my team. It informs my non-negotiables, it influences how I show up. I will definitely communicate that to the athletes and it will help us. But I, I imagine my philosophy is like, it's the outline. I'm sketching the culture, but I allow the players to come in and color it in. Yeah, okay? I like that. So when it comes to the parents, it's, it's similar. It's right from day one. It's like, hey, this is what I'm about. I'm about these things. I'm about discipline, accountability, hard work, resilience, whatever it be. This is why I coach. This is how I coach. This is my system. This is how I'm going to build relationships. I'm going to have one-on-ones with your athletes. We're going to run a leadership council. We're going to do team building activities, but I'm also going to hold them accountable. You know, when they're not working hard, they're going to lose opportunities. They're going to lose privileges. They're going to, you know, they're going to sit out like, it's just whatever. We're going to be really clear about how we do things, but we're also going to have a conversation around, hey, what's important when it comes to the experience that you want your child to have? Why do you want them to play? What are your concerns for them in the future? So asking them questions to get them to know what they see success as for their child and why they want them to be in that sport. And I'll allow them to articulate their why, their purpose, you know, what's important to them as a family and their values. That's a great opportunity to start to, once again, co-create the culture you're trying to build with parents because parents are so integral into the success of that team and that program. When you have like, you know, I'm thinking my husband used to coach swimming. He was a swimmer in college and, you know, they would coach hundreds of kids. When you have groups that are that big, I mean, are you having, maybe it's like the higher level they are, you're having more of the one-on-ones and at the lower level, it's really kind of these group conversations or how do you make sure these things are still being communicated effectively, but you're not spending every waking hour talking to a parent or an athlete, you know, about, about this stuff 24 seven, because you could easily do that with those large teams. The large, you know, I've got a cross country coach that who's got 70 athletes and three part-time assistants, right? right? So really, really challenging. Very, like you said, to your, some of your higher level athletes are having more of those intentional one-on-ones for every athlete. You're shortening it up to just trying to get connections, physical touches every time they come in with, and just trying to check in as much as you can. We like to use Google Forms to create reflection questions for the athletes at times, or we'll oftentimes give them worksheets. So they'll fill out their own player development plans. They'll create that them themselves. They might work within leadership groups, like in the cross-country team there. That coach and his, his three assistants have a leadership council, I think of like eight or 10 athletes. And they all have five or six athletes that are underneath them. As they meet, they discuss to support each other in their own player development plans. The athletes are totally responsible for crafting that. And they still do some team co-creation of some values, right? They all sit down, they break them into groups and, and organize at the start of the year as well too. So you can scale it. There's no doubt about that. And you have to scale it. You know, In some sports, it doesn't provide for as much relationship connection as others for sure. From the parent's perspective, like we talked about, sometimes I think you, I think you even wrote it in there. The number one complaint that coaches have today is sports parents. That I've heard definitely a lot before. So if a parent is coming in, I guess I want to take this from a couple directions. First, like let's talk about the parent who is not buying into what this coach is selling. I mean, is this just a flat like, well, they can go somewhere else? Like you just let them go out the door? How do you deal with parents that are not kind of working with your philosophy and the culture you're trying to create? First off, always be self-reflective. Can I have communicated? Am I actually acting in alignment with my values? So often we aren't. That's a big start. Reflect on yourself as a coach. Then comes back to, have we clearly established the philosophy? Have we communicated this to parents? You said, okay, we've done that. Check. Have I continued to support this partnership? So there's a few things that are really important in this is just consistently communicating your values, right? 
in that weekly email? Are you just telling parents where to be and what time? Or are you talking about the things that you've been emphasizing around character? You know, a lot of our coaches will have a weekly email that include values, core value awards, right? So if they have different core values are trust, care, commitment, they might have the trust, care, commitment award of the week, you know, just different things like that, that just to reinforce the culture you're trying to create, talk about the skills that you're trying to develop in the athletes, not just what you're working on technically in practice, but talk about maybe the character things that you've been discussing or the team building activities that you've been doing, or some of the one-on-ones you've been having with athletes, just whatever it is, that message you're trying to give those athletes to develop them as people, you want to be communicating that to the parents. You want to keep them in the loop. We also try to really continue to support this partnership by involving parents in various aspects of the program. In some of the sports I have, the coaches invite the parents sometimes into the locker room after the games for an emotional win or emotional loss, just to be here, to be a part of that, to experience that. We've had parent practices where parents actually come, they participate in the practice with the athletes. Sometimes the athletes are coaching the parents. Okay, that sounds um, like fun. <laughs> yeah. And I really want to see this on a, like a, on a swim team, you know, like I think that would be really cool. And it might be dangerous, but you know, like just things like that. So you're just including the parents and some of the experiences we've had parents in film sessions. Like we're just, hey, it's not every day. It's not all the time. But it's like, hey, come be a little part of what we do here. Let's just see what we're doing here. See what we're trying to do to create this special experience for your kid. It's not just about the wins and losses. Mm-hmm. So often the parents don't get to see that. So have you done all those things? Like, have you started to, you know, that would be my biggest encouragement. But at the end of the day, there needs to be boundaries that need to be enforced. When a parent is not buying it, the first thing is to probably sit down and say, hey, give them some feedback, but give them feedback in this way. Share it as an observation, not as a judgment. Hey, one thing I'm noticing is that every time your son or your daughter finishes a meet or match, there seems to be a lot of like back and forth and it seems to really rattle them. What do you think about that? And just share it as an observation. Go back to Ted Lasso. Be curious, not judgmental. <laughs> and just, just have a conversation around it first. If there's certain behaviors that are against the standards and the values of the program that you've outlined for the parents, there's opportunities to say, well, listen, we're depending on if you're working with club or administrators, that a lot of the coaches and the teams that I work with, they've had to enforce standards where they said, the email that you sent to that coach, totally uncalled for. And you're going to have not be able to watch your kids' games for the next two months because of that. And athletic directors are stepping in and enforcing some standards there. So we're seeing more and more, there has to be boundaries drawn with parents, but less and less if you do all these other great things that we're talking about. I really like the setup. I I love the communication piece because I feel like as a parent getting emails from my kid or even when I was on the team, like it was really just about like, you know, we might have meetings at the beginning of the year or something, but then it's just like logistics, logistics, logistics. And that feels like that's all the communication kind of becomes with the parents at some point. So I love the fact of, even if it's not weekly, but just, you know, once a month, just kind of saying, hey, these are things we're working on in addition to our sport, like we said, like character traits and other things. I think that's really cool and a great idea for coaches to implement and start looking at because I think that will help them also create their culture. But what about on the flip side, if we have a sports parent who is incredibly supportive in all the things you want a parent to be, but the coach is not creating a great culture. It's maybe a little bit more like that situation you were in, but maybe not totally emotionally abusive or anything like that, but it's just not the best environment, but there's nowhere else to go. What advice do you have for a parent? Because it's sometimes not the easiest thing to approach a coach about stuff as well, because they don't always want to take insight or criticism from a parent, even if it's good. Yeah. And so not the emotionally abusive coach, but just the one that's not creating a great culture. Right. Well, right. I, I, I shared two two things with you, two stories. One is a personal story and one's one of a client. So one of the most impactful moments in my leadership journey that I talked about earlier for me was when a parent who had a relationship with me and I built that relationship with me, sat me down and talked to me. What I mean by that is this parent for years, I would often come up, address me as coach or just as JP and just ask me about my family, talk to me about other things in life other than the team, other than his son. He showed a genuine interest in me. And then one day his son was playing for me and I think he was a sophomore or junior and, and, and he emailed me or texted me or called me and asked for a meeting. I remember he came into my office and he sat down. He said, JP, I know your heart and I know what you're trying to do for kids. You shared that with me and you shared that with the parents. And I look up on these walls and I see all these core values and I see what you're trying to do here. But when I watch you on the sidelines and when I hear about what you say sometimes in a locker room at practices, I don't think that it's lining up. That hurt. I was mm. embarrassed. It really caused me to reflect and to take a step back and say, He's right. 
And that got through to me like big time. Why? Because that really parent built a relationship with me. Mm-hmm. So if you want to speak into a coach's life, you have to start with a relationship. You yeah. have to start with a relationship. You got to get to know them as a person. And that's my advice to coaches, to parents. Mm-hmm. Get to know their name. Get to know about the parent. Same for parents trying to impact coaches. Everything comes through any impact, any transformation, all comes by way of a relationship. The second thing is, you know, a little bit, maybe a little less invasive is a client of mine. I work sometimes with business leaders and exec, you know, an executive coach. So this guy, uh, he does a bit of soccer coaching on the side, but his son's team is a bit older team. And the coach was not doing anything to really help build the culture, you know, and the guys, the kids weren't gelling. You know, they're 12, 13 year olds or club soccer. It's two, three practices a week. So what did he do? He texted or emailed all the parents and said, Hey, let's get the guys to go to movies and let's all the parents let's go out for dinner while their kids are in the movies. Started doing that. Then they're there, talked about a few things, said, Hey, I'm reading this book about parenting and being a better sports parent. Any other parents want to read it with me? A couple of parents signed up, they read it, got together, discussed it. So he just kind of just started working in the background, helping this coach out, organizing team activities trying to help educate the parents and himself on how to be a better sports parent. So that would be my other advice is just be the change, help institute some of those changes, help to organize some of those team team events, team building activities, whether the coach has shown that they want them or not. I love that. And I feel like I'm seeing that from you so much as whether you're the coach or the parent, like there needs to be some self-assessment. Like even if you've got this annoying parent, you know, my little air quotes over here, this annoying parent is bugging you like, have you looked at yourself yet? Have you kind of checked yourself on what have I done? What haven't I done with this person? Like, and the same with the parent side, like what can you do to be the change? And I think that's something we just don't, I don't know if it's because we get caught up in busyness or we always are like looking forward and what we want to do, but we forget sometimes to just self-assess, to just stop and be very aware of what we're doing and have an honors conversation with ourselves. Because if there's somewhere you want to go, but you, and on a starting place, you're not going to be able to get there, right? You have to really assess where you're at and where you want to go with that. I think that's really, really huge in this, especially when it comes to relationship building and communication, because if there's not a good on a starting point, like it's not going to go very far, very fast. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just say something really quickly on that. I first years was spent most of my energy trying to change other people. And then I realized I can't change others. I can only change myself. I can't invite others to change. And the best way to invite change in others is to first change myself. And when I change myself and they see that growth, they see that impact. And sometimes you're able to speak in other people's lives in ways that you never imagined. I think you just hit the nail on the head with that one. That was good. You can just drop the mic and, and leave now. That was, that was great. <laughs> Let's go into where does the athlete sit in here? Like if there's not good communication between parent and coach or the athlete and coach or however, like what is also the athlete's role? Is they're learning and growing? And what if the, the adults in their lives are not being these great agents of change that we want them to be? What can the athlete do? Because they're younger, they're learning, they still need to be self-aware in the same way, but that is that is something they're currently learning how to do. What advice would you have for the athletes? I would definitely say that the athlete, similar to the parent, can be that instrument of change by focusing on themselves on, first off, am I showing up the right way? But secondly, starting to organize some of those team get-togethers, team gatherings. Whether your coach co-creates standards or not, you can still pull the whole team aside and say, hey, what's success look like for us this year? What do we need to do? And you can create up your own team standards there. There doesn't have to be a coach or an adult in, in that situation. There's nothing that should keep you from doing that. Everyone will probably be all about it, right? As long as it's going to help them to be successful, especially if they're seeing leadership void by the coaches. So that'd be my big encouragement is some of these things, they all apply. It's 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 Oftentimes, the most effective teams that I work with are really the coaches are just really fortunate to have great leaders that step up and do so much of this stuff because they become more team-led than coach-led. So what is a great leader in your mind? Define a great leader to you. It's very, very different than what I think other people envision it. I think people often see it as this loud, really, really vocal person. And they can be, they can be very charismatic, but they also can be very quiet. I think a great leader helps others to get where they want to go. It helps take the whole group to get where they want to go. I heard this recently. They create a future that wasn't possible without them, right? So they just step in there and they start. So it's starting with a vision, where do we want to go? And then helping bring people along that path. In that process, 
it means you have to often take steps first. It means you have to be vulnerable. It means whether it's the coach saying, hey, I've got some things I got to work on here. This is what I'm working to improve on myself this year. Or an athlete saying, hey, I've got some things I need to work on, right? And so, so often it's just us as a leader, whoever it is, coach or athlete, stepping out, being a little bit vulnerable, putting ourselves out there, but being willing to kind of lead by that example. And that by lead by example is not perfection. It doesn't mean you're the, always the hardest worker or always have the best attitude. The lead by example is that you're showing that you're willing to work on yourself. You're willing to grow your work ethic, improve your attitude. Those are things that can grow as well as your skills on For the court sure. or in the pool, you know? For sure. I was talking to one of my athletes recently about what does a leader look like? And it's not that a leader can't ever mess up, that a leader can't ever fail. Like a leader is still human. So a leader is still going to mess up. They're still going to fall down. They're still going to fail, but it's how they get back up and how they handle that because people are watching that. And so it's not often how great you are. It's how great your attitude is about what's going on around you, your responses, right? How you, how you handle those things. I think that's great. And it's hard. Like sometimes I see like these athletes, especially the younger athletes, or even like getting into college, you know, you're still emotionally young, you know, you're still like learning who you are and all those things. And to know that like nobody else around you is maybe doing the things that should be done to be that leader, to know that you, somebody's got to step into that role, but you're scared. You're scared to be that one to do it. Like, what would you say to encourage somebody to step into that role? I think we need to ask what's getting in the way for me, because I think there's something that's holding each of us back. That's different for every person. What's getting in the way for me to have courage? So often it's what others are going to think, you know, and I want to be seen as competent and confident. It requires me to act not always super confident as an individual. For other people, there could be something else at stake for them. But I think we all need to reflect on what's getting in the way for me. And then what's that costing me to continue to operate small and think about that? Because so often I think we play small. Mm-hmm. We play small in life and we can play a lot bigger. And if we start to play big, we start to step out and put ourselves out there. What's possible? It may not happen, but what's possible? And look at what's possible in your life. Look what's possible in, the, in your team, for others around you. I really like that. You're right. There's different fears that we all have because we all have different personalities and different experiences and situations. But we don't often look at, well, what is it costing me if I don't stand up and do this? And like, ooh, that's that's a good one. We we don't often do that. And I think a lot of times that can drive you a lot farther than the fear of what might happen if you when you do step out. Right? It's that fear of what I might lose or what it will cost me. That oh, that's really good one. I like that a lot. Well, what? Okay, so I'm a mom. I've been an elite athlete all my life. I've been to three Olympic games. You know, I've, I've won all the medals, all the things. And now I've got kids in sports. And one of my kids is in volleyball. And I love it. It's really fun. It's way more like just happening than, than diving was. Like you said, a diving meet, it's very prim and proper. You know, you cheer and then you wait, <laughs> you cheer. Volleyball is like so exciting, right? It's like nonstop action. You know, the highs and the lows and it's all the things. But we have been on some teams where even if maybe the coach isn't, what we want or envision, we're hoping, but you know, the kids are still young and they're growing and that's just part of your experience too. But then there's parents that are stepping in and doing things they shouldn't be doing. And you mentioned some of these great things that you can do to try to build camaraderie in the parents. But when the other parents aren't buying into those things, is it really kind of self-preservation at that point? Whereas as a parent, I just have to like ignore that and try to put it away and like remind my kid that that's not, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there's this kind of weird tension point there. Well, it's like, we may be buying into this and we're trying to be part of this great culture, but some of these parents over here aren't, and they're not willing to engage with us that are like, how do you handle those parents that are trying to be the referee or the coach on the side? And they're not, and should not be. It's really interesting hopefully you've done some things to try to build relationships and just foster connection because then you're going to be able to do everything else that I'm suggesting with greater ease. I had a coach, he he would give out a bag of Tootsie Pops to parents every <laughs> single game. It was one parent's job and he would rotate the parent, but it was that parent that had to give them out. And the, the whole thing was as a reminder. And if you want to start yelling at referees, you just put the Tootsie Pop in your mouth, right? You know, keep, keep your mouth shut. But I always loved that, you know? So it was really helpful because it was a funny reminder and it made it safe to give each other feedback. I think the other day, I remember there's a guy named Richard Weisbord and, and Richard is a professor at Harvard for child moral development. I read his book and interviewed him on my podcast. 
And I was really struck by one of the challenges he had at the end of that book for parents around parents giving each other feedback. And just like I shared earlier, just like sharing observations with parents, like having the courage to step in there and say, hey, I'm seeing these things. Like, just don't think that's from what I'm seeing. I don't think it's helping to create the culture that we want here. Or I don't know how much that's helping. What do you think? Just sharing what your observations are, holding those lightly, it takes courage. But if we're going to ask our young men and young women to have courage and challenge each other as athletes in the field, we should probably be willing to have a bit of courage ourselves as parents, do it in a light way so that there's no all out brawl on the stands, you know, but like, <laughs> like I said, have that relationship and just be able to, be able to share that with some people. I would, I would start to give each other feedback on that as well as just continue to try to build the right culture by doing all the good things on the, on the front end. But yeah, downstream, yeah, you got to step in and have some hard conversations. No, I like that. Fortunately, we haven't had too much of that on our sides. I just I hear a lot of the horror stories, but I, I love the Tootsie Pop system. I think that is awesome. And we may have to implement that just for preventative and to get on all the same page. I think <laughs> that's a brilliant move. So JP, what else can you tell us? Like, what have I not missed? Your your new book, The Sports Parent Solution. What are some other things and some dynamics in there that we should know as athletes, coaches, parents, like coming into the 2024 season? What are some helpful tips maybe from there that we haven't covered yet? It's not necessarily really focused on the Sports Parent Solution. It's more of my previous book, The Culture System. And the Sports Parent Solution in many ways is a sequel to that. But um, this idea around consequences, and we all need to be on the same page around how we're going to hold athletes accountable because we need accountability. And there's a lot of talk about support today. We Athletes sure as heck need support. They need mm-hmm with the growing mental health issues out there, but there also needs to be accountability. And when young people have boundaries and they know if they cross those boundaries, there's going to be a consequence that actually creates a sense of safety and the foundation for growth. We know this. And so we need that support and accountability. So what does that look like? Well, we have to move away from yelling, screaming, threatening, you know, shaming, blaming, all that stuff out there that does not lead to long-term benefits. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's effective in the short term, we all know if we yell at our kids to clean up, they might clean up, but are they really cleaning up for the right reason? Are they developing the skills that we want them to develop? So will athletes try harder if we shame them? Potentially, sometimes, but is it really the type of people and the whole people we want? So what do we do? So much of my work is built on some of the work around boundaries and positive discipline by Dr. Jane Nelson and that approach that I've worked on in my own parenting as a teacher years ago when I was teaching. And that comes down to using logical consequences. So in sports, one of the biggest things that frustrates coaches is the sense of entitlement. And I think it honestly frustrates me as a parent too, when like my athletes or my sorry, my children, just like I'm doing everything for them. You know, like I'm constantly packing their bags and doing this stuff. They don't appreciate it, right? They just feel like, oh, sports they're entitled to do it because it's good for them. They have mm-hmm. to go do it, you know? And so the most profound thing my parents ever did was... They treated sports as a privilege. And when I didn't make grades, the A's and B's they knew I was capable of, they pulled me off the team. They had to do it twice. They did it in sixth grade, they did it in seventh grade. My seventh grade, my mom just said, Hey, you're failing Latin. You're not playing until you're passing or you're at a, or passing or in a B or Latin. I don't remember. But then she didn't yell. She didn't scream. She didn't beg me to get my grades up. She just took away the thing that meant a lot to me. But then she sat down with me every night and helped me practice my Latin words, right? To get my grades up, right? support and accountability. It wasn't just accountability. She was willing to put the time in to help me. And the same with coaches. You know, one of the most profound things that I learned was when I stopped yelling and screaming at kids and stopped running them when they weren't working hard or had a good attitude. And I said, hey man, just step off. When you're ready to start working hard, let me know and we'll get you back in. And occasionally, once or twice a year, I might say, you know what? I don't think you're feeling it today. We'll see you tomorrow. You've lost the opportunity to get better. Mm. And that is so powerful. What that did for my parents sat me out years and years and years and years ago was that it tapped into this intrinsic motivation that motivated me for the rest of my high school career and took me to play college division one. Because all of a sudden, everything changed for me as that basketball was no longer some sort of thing that I was entitled to. It was a privilege that I had to work for. I appreciated it more. Because I appreciate it more, I worked harder at it. The idea is the same with us as coaches and athletes. Practice feels so often like a Oh, I have to, I got to go to practice. No, 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 no. It's a get to. And we could tell our players is a get to, but is it really a get to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a get to when you sit them out when they're not working hard. 
Well, I think that's important because I, you know, I get parents asking me all the time, like, how do I motivate my kid? How do I make them want this more? And it's like, you can't. They have to want it. And sometimes it's by losing it to realize how much they want it or by failing miserably. Well, they have to decide now, do I get back up and try again or do I walk away? That has to come from inside the athlete. And sometimes they have to learn through those consequences and that accountability, be that support system for them, but hold them accountable. I love that. And I, that was one of the best things I think my parents did for me was they were just very hands-off. They were always my biggest cheerleaders, but it was up to me to get up and go to practice. It was up to me to pack all the things I needed. It was up to me to be there on time. It was, it was always up to me to put in all that extra effort, you know, which in turn made me the person who ended up staying late after practice and doing stuff at home all the time. Like I was always finding other ways to do it because it was up to me. And so I became very motivated because I knew I was the one that was putting in all the effort. So I just kept putting in more and more effort and seeing more and more results. So I think that's a beautiful thing. And it's hard for parents sometimes to see it in the moment because they feel like I'm taking away practice. I'm taking away this thing that's going to help them grow. But honestly, they will grow more if you allow them to step back or to fail or to learn a consequence in that way. I think that's really, really smart. And I was really, really high ADHD, really high. And I needed physical activity to really help regulate myself so much. So it was very hard for my parents to pull that away from me. But it wasn't like, oh, you're not going to basketball, but I had a remote in front of me, right? I was like, no, 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 no. We don't, we don't, like, we didn't watch TV. <laughs> we, like, there was like, there wasn't a whole lot of, it was, like, it was basketball or it was like fishing. And I wasn't into fishing because we lived on a little small little lake, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to do, you know? So I think there's a bit of enforcement of stuff there, but also not just giving them everything, their phone and all those things at this disposal that yeah. oftentimes just can also be really unhealthy for our kids too. So physical activity has so much benefit. So I definitely see the fear sometimes for parents and pulling away that, but it's like you said, it's pulling it away. It helps them appreciate it more. For sure. Well, JB, where can we find your books? So you've got a couple of books, your podcast, where we can find everything. A lot of my links are at tocculture.com. That's where you could go to start with, or you go to Amazon, the culture system, it's my second book. It's all about the framework for building team culture and you know improving relationships, raising standards. And my newest book came out November 21st. It's The Sports Parent Solution. And you can search on Amazon for that, or you can go to my website, tocculture.com. I'm on Twitter at JP Nurbin, N-E-R-B-U-N. On Instagram at TOC Culture. And so, yeah, you just can reach out through any of those, those sites and I'm happy to have a conversation. Awesome. Thank you. And congratulations on the new book. And thank you for coming on today. I think these are really important conversations to have to continue growing such a great culture of sport, you know, coaches, parents, athletes, the whole thing. Like we start changing just a few and that just spreads because as you are becoming leaders within your little area, like that spreads. And I think that's a really important thing. Instead of letting people bring us down like a cancer, like let's spread this leadership style and this amazing character building that you're promoting. So thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.